Welcome in. It's another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast here with the Indy Star. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Derek Schultz, the host of the show, but the star of the show, as always, is lead columnist Greg Doyle. How are you, my man? I'm good. I'm very starry. I'm, I'm feeling very starish right now. I'm starfish, I should say. I'm like, uh, do starfish have six things or five? Uh, I Five, I think. I think it's one point at the top and then arms and legs. I mean, I'm aware the star has five points. I think I feel like starfish are kind of freaky. Um, when I when I covered baseball, the Florida Marlins for the Miami Herald back in the day, they had a pitcher named Antonio Alfonseca. Yeah, and do you remember him, Alfonseca? He was a closer, wasn't he? He was. He, more like a more like the setup guy. They tried to make him closer. He's he wasn't great, but he threw hard. But anyway, Alfonseca was born with six fingers on each hand, and. So he had a nickname. He's from the Dominican Republic. His nickname was El Pulpo, which is Spanish apparently for octopus. And one time he closed out a game. Or No, no, they won the World Series. They won the World Series in 97. Jim Leland said he went up to him and, and said, give me six instead of give me five. Like, give me six. Huh. So that's my starfish, Antonio Alfonseca story. That must have been a fun team to be around because I always heard that Leland was a character. And um, he still, even in 97, was like smoking cigarettes in the clubhouse and all of that, right? Oh, for sure. And uh, I, I'm sure I've told you before that he, he took me on the field at Fenway Park and hit me balls off the Green Monster. And Wow. Yeah, he would. I mean, he was great for because you back then. I don't know how it is now with baseball and especially in, in the pandemic. But back then, you you got just amazing access to these guys, and you'd sit with them for almost an hour before games, just talking, because they had nothing else to do. They're four hours for first pitch, and we're all there. So anyway, he would just dispense so much wisdom. It was uh, I I knew that was special at the time, but boy, looking back, I realized wow, I was lucky. Yeah, I mean, to be on the field at Fenway is pretty incredible and that's coming from a, a huge Yankees fan but even I can kind of appreciate that for sure uh we got so much to get to today the Big Ten tournaments uh the other tournaments already the mid-major tournaments already underway the West Coast wrapped up last night with Gonzaga uh holding off BYU I guess rallying against BYU and then the Horizon League kind of kicked things off for us here in Indianapolis and then of course we've got the Big Ten tournament and and the NCAA tournament coming up here um but l- let's kind of start again second week in a row I think it's worth starting with Purdue, not only their continuation of the domination, really historic domination of Indiana. I believe this nine-game winning streak is now their longest in the series' long history, but also the fact, Greg, that this is when you want to peak, right? Right now. And they're doing that, closing the season on a five-game winning streak and playing some of their best basketball. Yeah, they, they've got uh, – all the freshmen are playing well, but two of them are playing at a super high level. Jaden Ivey – in the last month or so, is averaging almost 15 a game. I mean, he's he's become one of the better players in the Big Ten, never mind freshman. He's just one of the better players in the league right now. Um, and Zach Eady, when he's in there, you know, he only plays about 15 minutes a game, but he's going to play 15 minutes and score 13 points. I mean, it's it's you can't stop him. Uh, he You hope he gets fouls, but you can't stop him. They and and those aren't even their best two or three players. Uh, Trevion Williams is. Eric Hunter is their best two-way player. You know, the, Purdue had two guys on the all-Big Ten freshman team. And the guy who scored 29 points in the game this year, that freshman, he didn't make it. I mean, they're just – they're loaded and they're playing well. And they're it's also a glaring discrepancy between what they have and what IU has, which is to say hope and a future. Because right now IU has neither. Yeah, and you know what What else they have is that I think they have just a roster full of guys that understand exactly what their roles are. And 
again, every time we talk about Purdue, I feel like it gets like cheese ball and cliche, but it really is true when you play selfless basketball like they do, where everybody just kind of understands, okay, I'm going to stay in my lane and I'm, and I'm fine with that. I don't need to be the guy. It, it turns them into a well-oiled machine. And that's again, what they look like here because you're not worried about guys, even Jaden Ivey, who you and I both agree is a future pro. I, I don't think he's that concerned about the fact that, you know, if Travion Williams gets the ball 25 times and scores 22 points, I, I don't think Jaden Ivey is concerned with that as long as they win. Eric Hunter was the number six or seven all-time scorer in state high school history. So he's used to getting buckets. I mean, that's, and in fact, I think his Twitter name is something like EH Buckets or something like that. <laughs> so he's a bucket guy, but he goes to Purdue, and, and this is what happens to all those guys. Dakota Mathias, they, they come in as elite scorers wherever they were, Ryan Klein, and they just, they buy in. And, and I think part of that is certainly what happens on campus. Certainly they are forced to buy in by the coach and by the, the older players. I think part of that, and a really, really underrated part of recruiting, is getting the right mentality into your program. Like, you can't just recruit chicken squat mentality and hope it becomes chicken salad. You've got to get the right kind of kid. And I think over the years, and this certainly doesn't, this doesn't represent every player at IU. I would never, ever want anybody to think I'm saying that. But IU gets its share of players that you can just kind of tell they're you're out for you. Like, I mean, Devontae Green was the most obvious, the most glaring example, but the IU has players that you just don't you don't know how much they're really buying into the whole three musketeers all for one one for all. I, I watching them and you know hearing them all sell it you know shout and one. I mean, to me it's watching IU and listening to IU. It's it's like it's watching a team full of individuals that want theirs, and watching Purdue. It's like watching a team that wants the teams and doesn't really care how they get it. It's remarkable. Well, the challenge for IU, Greg, is it's hard to find a fit for that program when your program has no identity. Like I can tell you, I can tell you what fits Matt Painter and what fits Purdue's culture and program because they have a program and they have culture because <laughs> Painter has established that. I don't know what Indiana is. So how can I find somebody that fits a culture that doesn't exist? Yeah, their culture has been, I use culture has been really since Samson and he didn't have enough time to really recruit all this much, but their, their culture has been this. Let's look at the recruiting list. Let's look at the best athletes in the country, and let's try and get as many of them as we can. Yeah, and you're right. And if you're Duke and you're getting four of the best fifteen players in the country, it or you're Kentucky doing the same thing, with the occasional exception. Obviously, both this year neither team are good, but by and large, if you're bringing in that kind of talent, culture and attitude isn't necessarily the biggest thing. But if you and you're just kind of getting the the best wing you can get and the best this and the best that you can get with no real thought of how does this fit? How does this work? Let's just grab four-star recruits and hope for the best. That's what they've been doing since Kelvin Sampson was here. That's what Tom Crean did. Crean was just, let me get, you know, the best thing Crean did was Victor Oladipo. He, he, I don't know if he saw something no one else saw, but I mean, his clear highlight as an IU coach was he was the guy that, that saw Victor Oladipo or turned him into a pro before anybody knew that. Otherwise, all the guys they bring in that you think have great credentials, Troy Williams and all that, they are what they are, which is to say they want theirs. And if the team wins too, that's good too. But either way, they're getting theirs. And that sucks. Yeah, I think we got so focused on, well, he's got to recruit the state. He's got to recruit the state. And then Archie Miller did that. But 
still you kind of have the same problem because just because they're Indiana kids doesn't mean that, you know, a lot of these guys, Greg, at this point were born in the late 90s, or early 2000s. They have they have no memory of Bob Knight as head coach, much less what Indiana was in, you know, 1993, the last time that they were really kind of nationally relevant, at least that run of teams that was nationally relevant. So I'm just kind of wondering, and I feel like every time we we have a coaching change, which I'm assuming is inevitable in Bloomington, when Indiana is going to be fixed, and and as the years go by, I start to think to myself, is Indiana ever going to be fixed? I've, I long ago gave up on them ever being Kansas or Carolina or Kentucky. I think that ship has sailed. I think that's done forever. But is it asking too much for them to get on like Wisconsin's level? Hell, is it asking for too much for them to get on Purdue's level with what Purdue's done the last four or five years? Right. And, you know, Matt Painter kind of hit um, – for, for everybody, rock bottom is different. For some people, rock bottom in coaching is you go 6-20 and 20 and get fired. For some people, rock bottom is, is what Painter went through about 10 years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago, when he had a – he kind of tried to recruit just really good talent, and it didn't mesh, and it didn't work. And he reset with that whole Vince Edwards, uh, Isaac Hosh recruiting yeah. class. He just completely reset and said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to recruit pieces that will fit together like a puzzle. So it, it wasn't like – Painter hasn't always done this. He's doing it now, and he's done it for about eight years. That was his rock bottom. IU has been at rock bottom for about five years now, and and but they've changed coaches in the meantime. They're about to change it again. So, I mean, you think they are. You know, I noticed they gave Tom Allen a raise of about $2 million a year. Um which is two million more than they could afford, frankly, in a, in a pandemic. And you know, it's just we all know the the financial hurdles. They did it anyway. They paid a ton for that NFL running backs coach to come back, Dylan. Um, I don't know where that money's coming from, much less ten million to buy out Archie Miller, plus six or seven million to give to the next coach. Because you're not going to buy out Archie Miller, bring in a three million dollar coach. You're not doing that. So I, I don't know where the money's coming from if they even have it. Yeah, you know, I think what it is, Greg, is that these athletic departments cry poor. They know that they're going to hop back on the profit train here very, very soon. And to me, that's always kind of been like comparable to the national deficit, where we whine and complain about the national deficit, but the government can print money whenever they want. You know, these athletic right. departments, uh, they've, they've got money rolling in. Now, I'm not trying to say that Indiana is like Texas or something like that. They're not quite on that level or Ohio State. But if Indiana wants to make a change, they'll have enough money. They'll be motivated enough. A buyout's not going to stop them from making a change, I don't think. Then to me, they kind of they, they have to. Once you've reached this point, and Tom Crean reached it when they got rid of him, once you've reached the point where the entire fan base doesn't believe in your coach, and that, and I don't want to speak for everybody. I'm sure there are some people that still believe in Archie, and, and I'm not trying to tell you you're wrong. Um, but but it's it seems apparent that the bulk of the fan base is out with, with Archie. It seems I mean, That seems really, really apparent. And once you're there, I mean, it doesn't matter what I'm saying. It doesn't matter what Dockett's just saying on the radio. It doesn't matter what you're saying there, you and Jake and I see. I mean, it doesn't matter what any of us say or think. We just, we have jobs and we talk about it, but when the actual rank and file, when they're, when they're done with you, the school needs to follow suit. Yeah. And I think the problem for IU and they must've noticed this because I noticed this is that fans aren't even angry anymore. Like fans were angry with Samson and the NCAA stuff. I think there was a, a good chunk of the fan base that was angry with the wild swings of inconsistency with Tom Crean's teams. Hey, we got, we got consistency here. now. Yeah, well, we, yeah, they're consistently mediocre. But I, I think what you have now, Greg, is that IU fans aren't upset. They don't care. They're checked out. 
And that's the worst place to be. Apathy is the worst place. I'd, I'd rather people be angry because that means they're, they're still invested. Like, I'm watching IU basketball because I have to. It's a freaking chore. I don't want to watch that team. No one does. Yeah, it's – I feel like if we didn't have the pandemic, if we had 15,000 people at Assembly Hall or 12 or whatever it would be, you'd sense the anger. At least you would have sensed the anger. Fair. The thing is we've skipped over. We've skipped from, hey, there's some hope this season – to just flat-out apathy, we never saw the anger. Um, you have to really look online to see it, but we would have heard the anger. We would have seen it for about a month. But either way, where we are, we'd be right where we are with fans, without fans, which is you're right. They don't care anymore. They don't care and because it's, it's too hard to care because when you care for something that you know will fail, you're protecting yourself. They'll care again, but they're just protecting their hearts because that's the best way to – I mean, that's the only way to do it right now. And I haven't lost hope that they could turn it around. I'm still cleaning it. I, I look at examples like Illinois. Illinois was mediocre and forgettable for 10 years. And, and really, after the 05 team, they just kind of had a slow decline. So they were nationally relevant far sooner than, than Indiana. The last time Indiana's been nationally relevant. But Brad Underwood changed that around very quickly. And who's Brad Underwood, right? You know, the Stephen right. F. Austin guy? Okay, Oklahoma State, whatever. Like, I, I thought that hire kind of came out of nowhere. And he got it done, and he clearly gets it. And Indiana's just got to find that guy. I know that's easier said than done, but really all it takes – and that's what's so frustrating about the last 20 years is that all it takes is one person <laughs> to do this. And, and Indiana keeps stepping up to the plate and and striking out. I mean, you know, no offense to Tom Crean, who I think did okay. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't think Tom Crean was a failure. But if that's the gold standard of the coaches that you've hired in the last 20 years, my God. And it clearly is. I mean, he is because one of them cheated. Archie hasn't won much. Dan had about seven games under to coach. Clearly, Kareem's the best they've had since night. And Mike Davis, you know, had that great run. I covered that team that had that great run, but he wasn't any good. He did an um, admirable job. Yeah, I mean, he was whatever. He was just not ready for that level. I don't think. Do you think at some point is it is it time once and for all? And you hate to you know kind of roll the dice on something you think won't work, but just you kind of have to do it just so the fan base can see you tried it, and if it works you've solved your problem, but if it doesn't work, we never have to hear it again. I hope is it time for them to go get an IU guy and just that, once and for all, let's find out. Yeah, that's the debate. Um, you know, the question is who is that going to be? Because they've repeatedly said no to, you know, Steve Alford would have walked from Los Angeles to take that job. Right. And they've repeatedly said no to Alford. And, and at this point, Greg Alford is who he is. Alford Alford is on to me is on the same level as the guy that you ran out four years ago. I think he's well, on that same tier of coaches with Crean. He's fine. You, you know, whatever. I, I think there's a clearly defined ceiling there, but he's okay. But if he, if he wasn't good enough for UCLA or Iowa, why in the world would he be good enough for Indiana? Um, well, and then, you know, you've got Fife, and then you've got a bunch of pro coaches. Woodson and Whitman and guys like that have, have spent decades in the NBA, I, and I think they can coach, but they haven't done it on the college level. Yeah, I'm intrigued by either Whitman um, – or uh, I'm leaving out somebody. Um, Mike Woodson? Yes. Yes. Whitman or Woodson. I'm, I'm intrigued by by those guys. I mean, what you would say about both of them is that if you were, say, Purdue or Iowa, well, let's go out of the league. If you were, if you were NC State, NC State, consider yourself a basketball school, has some national titles, but you're no longer you're, – you're not, you're not awesome. NC State would never hire Woodson – or Whitman. Their resume isn't good enough for NC State to hire them, I don't think. And so if that's the case, 
should IU hire a coach that really isn't going to get a, a job like this anywhere else unless you're an alum? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I that's that's because the question is though, Woodson and Whitman, if it works, are going to work here only. But they might work here. But I don't. I mean, thank God I'm not the one who has to do it. I'm with you on Steve Alford. I mean, Alford's first team in Nevada went 19 and 12. His team right now is 14 and seven. They're they're not tournament teams either year. And he is what he is. And he's a fit for that level. You know, Steve Alford is is great as a Mountain West coach. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if I yeah. or whack or whatever. Uh, but I, I don't think that he's – and it's too bad because, um, you know, there's a segment of the fan base that still reveres him. Also, there was a, a that Pierre Pierce situation from all those years ago in Iowa that, that left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths if you want to – unearth uh the buried bones there it's it's not a pretty situation for him during his tenure there um yeah. you, know, you know gun to my head though greg if i had to take a chance on somebody and maybe i'm biased a little bit because we're friends but he's a guy that has been kind of biding his time as a an upper echelon assistant on a great program at michigan state and a guy that gets the program and is a hard worker and can recruit and i think is ready for his next shot to be a head coach. I'm not 100% sure that he's ready for a shot at Indiana to be head coach, but Dane Fife would be the guy if I was forced into taking an IU guy that I would take a chance on because I'll be honest, it it it, it might be a spectacular failure, but it can't get any worse than what the last four years have been. Yeah, and Fife, you know, the – the and hell, I thought this until I'm looking right now. Actually, I'm looking at Fife's record on Wiki. At IPFW, um, he was building it. I mean, he wasn't building a monster, but he had four straight losing seasons. He started it from scratch. He was like four 26 years seasons. old, too. Yeah, he was young. Yeah, right, exactly. But his last two years were above 500 and then several games above 500 and, and winning in the conference. So he was building something there. You can't say, well, he failed. He didn't fail. And then he left on his own. And actually, if you remember, Matt Painter wanted five to be his associate head coach. Like ten years ago, yeah, and uh, and Fife talked thought about it and didn't, but that kind of I guess it got Tom Izzo's attention. Like, wait a minute, Fife is a he might leave to be an assistant, so so Tom Izzo hired him. So, and you, you talk about you say Dane's your friend, and I don't know if I'd call him friends. I mean, to me, friends a sacred word. Um, and I'm not saying you're using it wrongly. I'm just saying, I, Dane and I we have each other's phone numbers. We text a lot. I mean, I like him a lot. He is so charming, and and we talked here and there, not in the last six months, but anyway. I like him a lot, and I'd be really – and I wouldn't want to say no to Dane Fife. I think you're right. You're right. If we're going to pick an IU guy, if we're going to say we're picking an IU guy, he's the guy. Yeah, and I, I don't want to make it sound like we're BFFs either because my relationship with him is a lot like yours. We were at Indiana at the same time. We're around the same age. Um, when we would go travel to the Final Four, we'd meet up um, – and like you, you know, we text back and forth. He texted me after I got let go and, and all of that. So, you know, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, we were we stood up at each other's weddings <laughs> or anything <laughs> like that. But, you know, he, he is somebody that I personally like. So I, right. I, I feel like I have to state that whenever we're talking about him it's in fair. this sort of realm. Because you should. Yeah. You know, your, your opinion, obviously. And you've admitted this too, Greg. You go to bat for the people that you like, and you're less likely to do that for people that you don't like. It's just human nature. You can't. No, you no question control. about it. Um, yeah, I've got um, I, I, I've got a handful of coaches that have been texting me for Jake Laravia's phone numbers. You know, Jake Laravia <laughs> at Indiana State. Sure. And um, some of the coaches, um, I've asked the family, and they've said it's okay, so I've given it. And some of the coaches, I'm not even asking the family because I don't 
you go get Jake Laravy if you want to, but I'm not helping you because I don't like you. So let's transition into that. Yeah. Because speaking of guys that we like in LaRavia, uh, but also his former head coach, Greg Lansing, Indiana State does go through with it, which we knew was going to happen because of those yeah. reports from a couple of weeks ago. And and now it looks like the program is you know, essentially kind of falling apart unless they hire their assistant. And then maybe they can salvage some of that. But ultimately, some people are going to leave no matter what. Are, are you hearing anything about what their next move may be? Because it Quink scales making this move, Greg, struck me as not to not to elevate one of Lansing's assistants. I think he made this move because he wants to. He thinks he can make some sort of a splash, and elevating some assistant coach isn't going to do that. Well, there's a, there's a lot here for me to say. One of one thing is that the coach everybody thinks he wants and thinks he will get is Micah Shrewsbury, Purdue assistant, worked with Brad Stevens, was in Boston, and Shrewsbury's highly regarded. Okay, um, the question is. Indiana State pays so small, and I'm not sure how much they can afford to just – they're not IU. You're right. IU can just – if they want to buy out Archie Miller, they can print some money up and they can get it done. Indiana State can't do it. Um, I don't know how much – and I bet Shrewsbury makes a half million at Purdue. I don't know, but I'm sure he he would take a pay cut to go to Indiana State. And Micah Shrewsbury, he's at Purdue surging. He's got a great resume, great mentors on his resume – I'm thinking he's thinking he can do better than Indiana State. Okay, so I'm not sure he comes here. I will say this. The night that Greg Lansing was fired, I was followed on Twitter by Micah Shrewsbury's wife. I have no idea what that means. It could mean nothing. Okay, it could mean nothing. Oh. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you what happened. Micah Shrewsbury's wife, and I've been ripping Indiana State about the firing of Greg Lansing. All of a sudden, sure. she wants to follow me now. It's interesting. Uh, definitely. Uh, I just looked it up, by the way. 350K is what they say his salary when he signed it in 2019. But, but you know, Greg, besides money, um, and I poll for Indiana State, and there are a lot of people associated with that, that athletic department that I like. Uh, let's be honest here. Associate head coach at Purdue is a far better job than the head coach at Indiana State. So if I'm Micah Shrewsbury, like you, if I'm a well-respected guy and I feel like I'm going to have my shot, I'm not taking my shot by going to arguably the worst job in the entire Valley. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm starting somewhere different than that. It's not arguably. It is the worst job in the Valley. Coaches will tell you, competing coaches in the Valley will tell you that's the worst job in that league. And co- and that matters. Um, that matters. And and you're right. You only get so many shots. You only get You only get so many shots. And if you take a shot at a really hard job and fail there, because everyone's going to fail there, you might not get another one. And so that, I mean, Dane Fife could have gone – you don't think Dane Fife, and I'm sure you do. Dane Fife, I'm sure, has been sniffed at, maybe not offered because he hasn't looked that deeply at it. But you know that a dozen bad jobs have tried to hire Dane sure. Fife yeah. in the last ten years at Michigan State. But he just—he's too smart for that. Um, what I what I know about Indiana State, what I think I know, you know, some of the stuff is—I mean, until stuff happens, I don't know. But I'm pretty sure Jake Laravia is gone either way. I'm pretty sure. Um, and a lot of that will depend on who is he hearing from. <clears throat> because if, if he's got, and I think he's going to have great programs wanting him. Great. And I know, I mean, some of their coaches have been texting me. I, I know. In fact, let, never mind. I know he has great programs wanting him. The question is, does how many of them offer? Um, I think he's gone anyway. If they don't hire Kareem Richardson, Trey Williams is gone. Jared Hankins is gone. He's a freshman. Sophomore Kobe Barnes is gone. They've got one freshman coming in. Because Lansing was without a, without a, um, a contract 
extension. He was coaching with no safety net. You can't recruit. It's amazing that two years ago he got who he got, coaching with two years left. But you can't recruit. So he's got one kid coming in, a two-star from down the road, Lincoln uh, Stockton, yeah. who's Lincoln Hale, who's – I mean, I'm, I've never seen him, but the, the recruiting gurus don't think he's you know, going to help. Yeah, he's a 1A player, you know, from right. Stockton. So, I mean, whoever takes that job – it was the worst job in the league from a structural and foundational and resource job department. But whoever takes that job will have all of those things working against him and nobody on roster. Nobody. It's uh, it's falling apart. And at this point, Indiana State's best move, and I, we've seen coaches take jobs and then decide no. You know, Doc at West Virginia, Bobby Cribbins at College of Charleston or South Carolina somewhere, South Carolina. I mean, it's happened, it's happened a bunch. Indiana State's best move is to call Greg Lansing and see if he'll take it, if he'll come back. Um, and, and I, you know, I don't know that he would. I don't know, that I, and I doubt they could make that phone call. But that's really how dire this is for them. They, they kind of need to swallow some pride, bring him back, and give him five years, or they are going to disappear. Do you get any kind of inkling that Laravia would lean towards staying in Indiana, notably for either IU or Butler? No, no inkling at all. Okay, none at all. Um, but I know there are schools in the state that want him. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not surprised about that. I mean, I, I would figure both Indiana and Butler, especially Butler, would want somebody like that, especially because with the hardship waiver, you could get immediately eligible, I would think, and, yeah. uh, and, and make a difference. But, yeah, it, it's sad. I mean, it's, it's just like you wrote in the column. Some of these schools outsmart themselves and think that they're bigger than they are, and, and clearly that's what happened. I mean, Shawar Klinksales – I've interviewed him before. Seems like a nice guy. I don't pretend to know him very well, but um, he made this decision two years ago and dug in. And so, you know, outside of winning the Valley back-to-back years and going to the NCAAs, I don't think there's anything that Greg Lansing could have done to salvage his job. If you want to know how bad that job is, here's all you need to know. Two years ago, Greg Lansing had had four losing seasons in a row. He was a, he was nine years into his program tenure. I think I think it's four losing years in a row. Only had two years left in his contract, which doesn't doesn't pay much, like quarter of a million. Which I mean, obviously in written in the real world, that's a lot of money for a basketball coach. That's nothing. He had two years left, coming off four losing seasons. They could have fired him that day, and no one would have said a word. We all would have said, "Man, Lansing's a, a nice guy, a good guy. He gave it a shot, but it's time to go." We all understand. But two years later, doing what he's done. Having the and not just two years they peaked and next year they're falling apart. I mean, next year they're going to be top three in the league if everybody comes back in Lansing. To get rid of them now and not two years ago shows they have such little resources they couldn't buy out the cheapest, the cheapest contract almost in mid-major. I mean, almost anywhere they couldn't buy out that. That's how cheap you are. But then two years later, when when your priorities ought to be winning and you're winning and you and you don't bring them back because you just don't you don't like the guy. Sherrard or the, or president, whoever the president is, I mean that's a that's a poisonous spot right now, and I hate saying that about a state school. I mean, you know me and people who who actually read all of me know that I want everybody in our state to win. Of I, I, I don't know if that makes me a homer or not, but I want our people happy. Our people are happy when our schools win. That includes Indiana State, but right now they are they are getting every little bit of what they deserve. Yeah, and you know they you could say well they tried to get him on a one year deal they wanted to tack on a year and and if I'm Lansing I'm thinking to myself no man I'm not doing I'm not doing a year to year contract here if you want me let's let's do four or five years like I got to recruit and do all of that a one year deal you, you know you're putting 
you're making him coach with one hand tied, actually both hands tied behind his back because one hand is just the budget in general. And then the second hand would be the fact that year to year, other teams that are recruiting your guys will just say, hey, Greg's gone after this year. Greg's gone after this year. Look what he recruited this year on a one-year deal. Lincoln, the the kid from Lincoln Stockton. I mean, that's what he got. And one more thing. So basically he has no recruiting. And I hate to be crapping on the Class A kid coming, but you basically have nobody coming in this year to help. Really nobody. Last year you had two sophomores. Um, I'm sorry, this year you have a freshman, Jared Hankins. He's gone. Um, You had two sophomores, or three sophomores, I guess. Trey Williams, Kobe Barnes, and Jake LaRavia. They're all gone. That is three recruiting classes in a row where you've got nothing. I mean, you've got nothing. And the ones that you got are juniors and seniors. They're graduating. And they weren't all that good to begin with. So, oh, my gosh. I mean, they have – it's going to be like a like a intramural team over there if this go if this continues the way it's continuing. Yeah, it's brutal. It really is. Um, let's talk about something. I, I liked your last column about, you know, a guy that was a hero of yours and an author that you wrote about and, you know, kind of got me thinking about – mentors and heroes and all of that because even when like let's say with you greg you've ascended to the level that you've ascended to professionally you know everybody's got somebody that they looked up to or somebody that they're starstruck by and i just really enjoyed that story um that you wrote you can check it out indiestar.com if you haven't read it already on pat conroy yeah 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 pat conroy who is the most beautiful writer just about the most beautiful writer i've ever read you know, Shakespeare does things with language. I mean, people do things with language. And it, you know, it's kind of like judging a beauty pageant or a or a top twenty five team. I mean, there's it's it's all in the matter of your opinion, who's better or whatever. But to me, Pat Conroy is the most beautiful writer I've ever read, and the greatest novelist, American novelist of the twentieth century. And I realize our century has um, uh, Hemingway. I, I realize you know Hemingway's got a nice name, and 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 but he, let me put it this way: Hemingway has spawned. An entire legion of people that copy him because they can. Now Hemingway was first. It's kind of like me and well, never mind. Hemingway was first, um, but he gets copied, and you can copy him not perfectly, but he's copyable. You can't copy Pat Conroy. You can't do it. His his vocabulary, his rhythm, his imagery. You, you I mean, you've got to be a super talent to copy that, and no one no one could, would even try. So, and his cousin, first cousin, not just distant, his first cousin is Ed Conroy, assistant coach at Minnesota. And every time Minnesota comes and plays IU or, or Purdue before the pandemic, I'd watch the game, but I'd also watch Ed Conroy and just think to myself, holy cow, that's Pat Conroy's cousin. And I've always wanted to talk to him about it and write about it. And I finally got him on, on Zoom this week and we talked about it and it was great. I mean, it was great. And because of that, I've been getting emails from other Conroy relatives, people, I mean, the Conroy Museum, well, the a relative there. I, I mean, I'm hearing from people, multiple in South Carolina. It's, it's, uh, you know, I, I've managed to insert myself into their family a little bit, and, and I'm very happy about that. But the, the Ed Conroy story itself, his story, what he did to become a coach and as, as an athlete, and how something that happened to Ed Conroy is the reason Nick Nurse is the Toronto Raptors head coach. The, Nick Nurse is a great coach right now because of something that happened to Ed Conroy 30 years ago. That's a true story. So it's it's a pretty cool it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, and I'm not surprised that you know family members. It means a lot to people to know that even somebody who obviously had fame and all of that and, and Pat is still remembered so fondly. You know what I mean? It, it means something several years later after his passing. 
for something like that to happen. So who are um, yours, mentors and, and heroes? Who, what do you got? My, my professional hero, as far as who I wanted to be when I grew up, was always Marv Albert. Um, because even though, obviously, he had a, a national base with the NBA on NBC and, and NFL games and all of that, um, I knew Marv as the play-by-play guy for the Knicks on Madison Square Garden Network. And so in the early 90s, when cable was kind of first exploding like that, I'd watch Marv Albert and John Andres, who has since passed, uh, do Knicks games. And I dressed up as Marv Albert in fourth grade for career day and never actually got the chance to ever speak with him or meet him. Um, my hero, as far as sports hero, I did get to interview and talk to, and it was, it's the thrill of my life, and I'll remember it forever, um, was Patrick Ewing. Uh, we were down in, in San Antonio on Radio Row, Jake and I doing our old radio show with Westwood One, and we were packing up for the day on Friday, and we were doing a special edition show on Saturday. And one of the guys that came through that helped book the guests on Westwood was like, all right, well, we got Coach Ewing coming over. And he had a clipboard, and I'm like, excuse me? He's like, yeah, you know, Patrick's going to be here tomorrow. You want him, like, 1030? And, I, you know, I called my dad immediately, and, like, I don't think I even slept that night. Like, I was so excited about it, and we had him for eight minutes and it, it just meant a lot to me, Greg, to, to be able to tell somebody what their career meant to you. It's special. You know, a lot of people don't get to do that. And I, and I got to, <laughs> to do that. Now, I don't, I don't know. He must have been shocked that some, you know, five foot six white kid from suburban Connecticut thought so highly of him. But, you know, I, I, wanted, to, I, I wanted to maintain my composure and, and let him know. I mean, I had all his posters on my wall. I had all his starting lineup figurines. I still have them. My wife calls them my dolls. Um... And so, yeah, they, uh, that, that was something that I will remember outside of obviously, you know, life things like the birth of my son and my wedding day and, you know, family, private things. Um, professionally, it'll never be top for me. That's, that's tremendous. I've had a couple athletes that I really enjoyed and liked and, and, and got to know a little bit later in life, but nothing like that. Like the closest I would say is George McGinnis who I grew up rooting for the 76ers, but I really was a Julius Irving guy. I mean, Julius Irving was my guy. McGinnis was his teammate, and so he mattered to me, and I was blown away by him, but it's not the same thing. I've gotten to know George over the years, and that's really special. So, Have you anyway. ever met Dr. J? I know he came back, uh, what was it, two years ago or something, for the 50th ABA anniversary, and I think was signing at Hinkle with like Rick Barry and a bunch of the old ABA guys. Huh. Yeah, that was uh, – I didn't even know that, and I, and I wouldn't care. Um, I, mean, I looked up to him. He was my guy, and I had his poster on my wall, and I actually see it in my mind. I I can see that poster right now from a long time ago. But um, the only person there's two people that blow me away right now, just blow me away that that I'd be starstruck to be in the same room with two, two, um, and one of them people don't want to hear it, but it's Obama. If I was in the room with that guy, I would be blown away. I just you know he's too smart, he's too charming, he's too historic, you know like his politics, don't like his politics. I understand. I understand all that. But you talk from a guy just from a pure intelligence, charm, historically significant what you did. It's like Jackie Robinson in politics. I mean, that's incredible. And the other one's Pat Conroy. And Pat Conroy's gone. So, and that was a dark day for me. I I really started loving Pat Conroy about four years ago. Um, that's when I started reading him. It's really been about four years, just loving him. And I went and looked him up, and he had died like a, three weeks earlier when I decided I'm going to find Pat Conroy because I think I love this guy. So that that was hard, but five years later, I, I know his family a little bit now, and that's the best I can do. Yeah, and 
again, they appreciate that. So even if you didn't get to meet him just to memorialize him in that way and tie his cousin in like that, um, is really neat. I'm sure for all those family members. Uh, Hey, I'm, I'm heading to Logansport. I've never been to the Berry bowl, but I hear it's one of the cooler gyms in Indiana. Um, I'm not sure if we've talked about this or not, but just because, you know, we're in, we're in now regionals for the boys tournament and wrapping up the high school basketball season. Do you have a personal favorite, uh, Indiana high school basketball gym? Huh? Um, well, yeah. Um, they don't play there anymore. Uh, I wrote about this about a year ago. I went down to the knobs of Indiana, Floyd County. And, uh, there's a, a former, a former, I don't even know what to call them. They, they trained, um, not not monks. They trained a monastery. <laughs> really? A monastery, and they had a high school team 50, 60 years ago of future monks and priests. Wow. Yeah, an abbey. I don't know what you call it. And I don't know the name of school. I forgot the name of school. But that gym, I saw it. You know, they, they played games there. And it was like 60 feet by 40 feet. My other favorite gym is another one they don't play games anymore, Michigan Town. The Michigan Town Ganders. Yeah. That gym, literally the wall is out of bounds. And... There's something I wrote about that a couple years ago. So the ones that I really, really love are, are so quaint and ridiculous that they don't, you can't play there anymore. So if you're asking me for a current gym, um, you know, I, I, I might say the gym in Southport only because it's yeah. so huge. I walk in there. Every time I walk in there, I realize, oh, my God, is basketball big in my state? Because yeah, it's a neat place. Gym. Yeah, locally, that Southport and then Tech High School are probably my two favorite Indianapolis venues. And then you've got all kinds of great ones like the hatchet house in Washington and all those other ones. But I, I kind of like that that fits you, Greg, that you don't just come out and say, Oh yeah, you know, who's your gym in Knightstown or Chrysler Fieldhouse? You know, that's too easy to say those to, to pick those ones off the beaten path. I think that <laughs> that represents you pretty well. <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, in other words, I'm, I'm a weirdo. I'll take no, it. No, I, I didn't mean like that. I meant I that do. You, I'm you, un, you unearth those things, you know, oh. you, you strive to, kind of dig those up and find those what what people aren't seeing that are deep under the surface like that in your writing and all of that that's what I'm I mean. like an ostrich you, you show me some ground I'll put my head underneath it and look down I'm looking down low below the ground what's down there anyway or an emu or whatever the hell does that indiestar.com slash sports Greg's got his own section even on the app so if you subscribe you can get all of his stuff uh, also at Greg Doyle star on Twitter at Schultz 975 on Twitter is where you can find me also Tuesday nights ISC Sports Network Quarian Schultz and um, CoreyandSchultz.com if you want to check out the website. We're back next week. I, you know, I, I, I guess, Greg, with the tournament schedule being the way that it is, um, maybe we will do shows on Wednesday when the tournament starts just because some of those games will be bleeding into Monday and Tuesday. But um, I don't know. I, I guess we'll kind of – before I make an announcement on that, I guess we'll kind of cross that bridge when we get there. But Yeah, you really can't – over the next three weeks, you can't pick a wrong day. We could do one every day. or I mean, there, yeah. every day is huge around here coming out next month. And by the way, I've got a story on, on homelessness coming out in Sunday's paper. Probably be online before that, but might not be. Might be online Sunday morning. On homelessness in our community and the links that our city is going to to pretend it doesn't exist. And what can we do to – how about we just – Let's not complain about the problem. Let's not hide the problem. Let's actually try to use this moment in time. We, this is a moment in time for our city. Let's use this moment in time to make a difference. And uh, so the story has a little bit of everything, a little bit of anger, a whole lot of hope, and a lot of appreciation for a lot of folks who do wonderful work for the homeless. So do something other than just erecting a fence to hide it. 
yeah, how about we not just hide them? How about yeah. we not just hide them, move them out, find them somewhere else to go, which is great, but get them out of eyesight. How about we actually, and by the way, we don't, and I, I apologize. I said the homeless. Uh, that's a that's a habit. They, you don't You don't refer to them as the homeless. That dehumanizes them. They are not homeless people. They're not the homeless. They are people experiencing homelessness. And I, I apologize for saying it wrong. I wrote it, I wrote it the, the correct way and made it a point to point out, this is how we're going to say it now, because they deserve, everybody deserves a little bit of respect, or a lot. And calling them the homeless is, uh, that, that could be the name of a band that plays like Marilyn Manson's next band, and I hope it is, because he's a scumbag. But uh, anyway, I apologize. No. Looking forward to that column and more. IndyStar.com again, and we'll be back next time on Doyle and Derek. Until next time, Greg, I'll see you then, bud. See you, Derek. A hug for you and Jake.